will appear for his saints. And we're glad and we look forward to that. And it says, then you will appear with him in glory. Famously, we recall Romans related to this, chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. So we've really got something to look forward to. You know, one way or the other, the Lord is going to show us his glory. Obviously, it's best if our life is hidden in him and we're looking forward to his return. We know that he, we will ha- be in that glory with him, and we want to point folks toward that, and, and we're glad for it. And so by our faith in Jesus, by the indwelling spirit, we have this assurance, this powerful assurance, this full assurance of resurrection into this everlasting wholeness that we will have in the presence of God. There's, and that's all part of glory. It's a part of knowing what it is. And, and it's, it, it, this, our prayer of, Lord, show us our glory, or your glory, not ours. It's taking us to that time, to that place. And so we're glad. Ephesians, it says in chapter 1, thir- verse 13, 14, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. What a great time that was and is. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. And it ends by saying to the praise of his glory. So whatever direction we're turning, there's something about the glory of God that awaits us that moves with us, that wants to be for us, that wants us to be for him, the glory of God. It's not a moment. It's a living. It's a carrying on with God. The glory of God. If you were writing a definition, here's what I use and write when I have been thinking about it. The singular, unique splendor of God. The singular, unique splendor of God. Unique to Him. No one else has it. No one else is like this in glory. It's His. It's only His. It's singular. It belongs to Him. It only comes from Him. But that's not the end of the definition. The singular, unique splendor of God and its consequences. For you. That's part of the glory of God. It's his glory. And it has consequences on your life. It's meant to affect your life. It's meant to do something in life. In 2 Corinthians it says in chapter 4 verse 17. It speaks of a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory weight as in pounds w-e-i-g-h-t an exceeding and eternal weight of glory the glory of god is a weighty matter upon us and meaning that it it is of great consequence it's not just a subject 
It's not just a definition. It's not just something we look up in a book. It's something that has great consequence on our life. And that we would want that to happen. So, so when we're saying, Lord, show us your glory, we're saying, Lord, have a great consequence upon my life. Bear upon my life. Do something significant and great in my life that would be to your glory and because of your glory. Under the, the weight of the glory of God, the ministry and the gifts and the calling of God become of great consequence to us. The word of God becomes of great consequence to us. It's upon us. And that, that because of the, the unique quality and the unique thing of God's glory and the consequence on us, these things that are, are consequential are uh, not to be neglected. They're to be vigorously applied, vigorously looked at, vigorously com, uh, concerned over and thought over in our lives and through our life. And so praying for God's glory, praying for this exceeding and eternal weight, it's a good thing and it, and it will enlighten you to and enable you for a, an enlarging submissiveness to our Father. It will bring a recognition to the will of God it, it, because it, it's something of great consequence. It will bring the reminder and the recognition of the call of God on our lives. Old roots, we're deliberating at times. What good is my calling these days? How long will it last? What should I do with it? Is it supposed to change? Is God doing something or wanting to do something different? It, these are things of great consequence that come out of the glory of God. And uh, it requires of us <clears throat> a willingness to align ourselves to the divine demand that God would have on our lives through his word, through his will, through his work, that we align to that. Lord, show me your glory, and I'll line up to it. I'll walk in it. I'll dedicate and commit to it. I'll lay down for it and go all in with it. It's a weighty matter. It's an eternal matter. It's a, it's a far exceeding matter, uh, this thing of glory. And, uh, you know, one of the things out of this that we, we all recognize in the this splendor of God is that sometimes it's hard. Anybody ever have some hard times? In, it's a silly question to ask us. Of course, we have times that are hard. In the Gospels, we recognize that some lost their willingness to uh, continue on as the Lord's glory was revealed through Christ. That many left Jesus, it says. 
was he a bad preacher? Was he, did he not organize the crowd right? You know, why did they leave? Well, their own testimony was this. His words are too hard. The great consequence of his glory is more than we want to deal with. It's more than what we're willing to bear up to. In John chapter 6, so they left. Again, reflecting, not as a criticism, but just reflecting, it can be hard uh, to contend with the glory of the Lord. We also have in the scripture, thankfully, and it's why we're here today, still, these many years later, many fantastic disciples who stayed on, who pressed in, who pressed on. They learned, they followed, they stayed at it throughout the whole of their lives, and they created a testimony that we're still living off of and hoping to perpetuate in some way through the gospel of God and in the glory of God. We're wanting to do that. So the faith and the practice of the gathering church was their willingness to pray and to apply together and to experience together the glory of God. They were praying as we are, Lord, show us your glory. And he did. And they made it through. So do pray. Lord, show us your glory. But it is weighty. It is consequential. It is substantial and unique. Scriptures give us a preview of the price of glory. We used to say when our roots were more vigorous, and our terminologies were different in some ways, we would say, pay the price. Are you willing to pay the price for Jesus? Scriptures show us there's a price. Be willing to carry the weight. Be willing to be affected by it, like those that were reflected in Scripture. Maybe the largest grouping of that, Hebrews 11, the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith, which shows that. Jump it backwards a few pages to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. <clears throat> Verse uh, 16. I've noticed as I've gotten older, it's harder to find a Bible with the right size print. And, and uh, some of the versions, like the NIV, said, you know, the, the verse numbers are in the text line. It's like, where is that verse? And I've tried buying, uh, you know, one with large enough print, but I can't carry the thing. <laughs> so it's crazy. <clears throat> uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is is eternal. Yes, it can be hard. 
This is a tough world to live in. I found myself the last couple of years reminding our church, you know, that we're, we're born into trouble. And this is a hard place to live. And every day we look at the news and, and we realize, you mentioned Haiti. It's a hard place to live there, right? And really all the time, but certainly now this, this, this blue marble that hangs out there in, in the spans of space. And it's always hard to live there. But the substantial, singular splendor of God. And its consequences are worth competing for. It's worth it. It's momentary, it's temporary, but compete. Compete against Satan. Compete against him. Compete against a love of the world. Compete against your flesh. Compete to see his glory. Embrace what the Spirit of God wants to do inside of you. Embrace it. Grab a hold of it. Wrestle with it. Work through it. Deal with the hardship. Handle the consequences. Continue in the glory of God and embrace what he's trying to do in our soul, in our spirit, in our life. Embrace it and and attempt to hear it. We remember famously out of Revelation. He that has an ear. Let him hear what the spirit is saying. To the churches. So our prayer is Lord give me an ear. One that can hear you. And uh, we're glad for it. Look, Turn back now to Exodus. Way back there. Chapter 33. Get the dust out of there. And. Tell that spider to go away. We haven't looked in there a while. Thirty-three. Exodus thirty-three, verse eighteen. Where's the tiny one eight? There it is. Right there it is, plain as day. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And then. The Lord said, there is a place near where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Well, after the golden calf debacle, Moses is anxious to see the glory of the Lord. And we're like that too, aren't we? When we've had calamity, when we've had crisis, when things haven't worked out, when we feel like we've lost the people, when there's something going on that is just, you know, amazing and and devastating and hurtful and all of that stuff, we find ourselves, oh God, show me your glory. Because I ain't seeing it. Show me your glory. 
So the Lord began to minister that into his life. In chapter 34, verse 5, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name and the Lord, his name the Lord, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children, etc., on and on. And, and Moses bowed to the ground and he worshiped. God showed him glory. He did it. He answered that prayer. He answered that need. He answered that want. He began to heal and minister and, and help Moses. And he, God will do that in our lives as well. When we, when we call out and ask God, uh, for that glory of his. And, and, in, and, and the thing is, we get a little more sense of what it means when God's glory is shown and revealed because as he does this with Moses, God shows his nature. God shows his character, shows his purpose. He shows his power. I am the one that's slow to anger. I am the one who forgives. I am the one who heals. I am the one who helps. All of those things that are made known in the glory of the Lord, this transformative weight of glory. Ministering, again, we said it has great consequence. And clearly, it does, as it was stated there. A great consequence. So glory is about knowing the nature of God as he reveals himself. And the other thing that we can kind of see out of this is that as God shows his glory, he doesn't do it man's way. He doesn't do it as we would prescribe him to do it. He does it his way. He does it his way. So maybe Moses is onto something here when he just makes and has the simple expression, show me your glory. No guidelines, no special requests. No, it's got to be this way if you want me to see it. Or it has to happen in this fashion if you want me to appreciate it. He just said, just show it to me. You decide how you do it. I just need to see it. Moses had that sense, and we're glad that he did. Now, in reading through chapters 33, 34, you can pick up a lot of different things that are contributing factors to the showing of God's glory. I want us to just consider a couple of them in the few minutes left here. Um, in 30, chapter 33, verse 7, join me there. Now Moses used, a tent, used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And when, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age Joshua, son of Nun, we hear about him later, 
uh, did not leave the tent. I, I, reading that, I'm thinking, okay, contributing things, things that seem to be a part of the story of the Lord showing his glory, and one of them seems to be this. You're going to need a tent of meeting. You're going you're gonna to have to pitch a tent of meeting. And you're going to need to be there, and you're going to need to meet with God. You're going to need to uh, have a place to meet with God and draw near God and get with God. And, and we realize that, uh, as we've all said to, in, in, through our own speakings and such, to our people, it's like, look, you want to be teachable. You want to be reachable by the Lord. And this tent of meeting has that as purpose, has that as design, that we would come to the Lord in that fashion, and that we would talk to God openly, candidly, transparently, and that in our prayer we intercede and we petition and we entreat our God, but we also just humbly converse with God. Speak as we would with a friend, because he is our friend. And just converse and say, Lord, let me tell you what's going on outside the tent, just in case you didn't notice. <laughs> and, and the whole thing with the tent of meeting, this, this place, and, and it can be a literal place, and I, I, we, I trust we already have a place that we tend to gravitate to for praying and things. And, uh, but it's, we need to let God have a knowing of us. We need to let him have a chance to know who we are. Now, you know, in the large picture, in the sovereign picture, the Lord knows who we are. And yet there's something that we're not always sure how to figure out in this dynamic of relationship with God. That though he knows our heart and all of that, there's still something powerful about action and experience and, you know, carrying on in some kind of a way and, and, and speaking out of our heart. That, that, that God just seems to appreciate and, and almost needs to have in, in some way. We need to let God have a knowing of who we are in the tent. I thought of it this way. You know, often we ask people in our, our own conversations, in our own meetings, we ask something like, hey, do you know the Lord? You know, and, and I don't mean we're shouting at them like I just did. Dude, do you know the Lord? But somehow we're asking, do you know the Lord? But a great question is, does the Lord know us? Does he know us? Does he have a knowing of us out of our own expressions to God and our own experience with God? That's a question that needs an answer. Does God know me? So Moses is in this tent of meeting and an amazing thing goes on as he pitches the tent and he goes to the tent and he goes into the tent to meet with God. The people notice that. They're aware of that. Moses pitched a tent to meet with God. Hey, look, Moses just went to the tent. Wow, look again. He went into the tent. There's a pillar of cloud, God is in the tent, and it inspired them. They 
prayed and met with God in their tent. They worshiped God in their tent. Something about leadership, setting the pace, giving the example, not just to give the example. I'm going to do it just so I can give the example. No, you do it because you need to and you want to, and the example will come from from it in its own natural way. And it inspired. So, you know, let's, uh, you know, we have private tents of meeting uh, that are just our space. But we need to pitch a tent in our church, too. We need to pitch a tent in our ministry that folks can watch us walk up to and approach and go into and have the understanding God is doing something there. And it'll inspire them in the same way. Chapter 34, so not only the tent of meeting, But verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. And down in verse 11, it, it starts out there saying, obey what I command you today. And thinking about that, I'm, I'm realizing that the glory of God comes with commandments and instructions. The glory of God, God showing his glory is more than an exhibition. It is an expectation that we obey his commands, that we follow through on his instructions. Jesus said it in what we call the Great Commission, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teach them, teach yourself to obey the Lord. I wrote this down, glory revealed requires commandments restored. Glory has commandments. Satan's policy of nothing is sin needs to be rebuffed and renounced. God says there is sin, and it is breaking his commandments. Now, get this in my clock. Uh, what time is it? I don't have a watch on. There it is. Okay, ooh, I'm at the end of the line, aren't I? Well, praise the Lord. I had ten commandments for you. I'll give you one if you don't mind. What if we thought of the exhortations of Scripture as more than exhortations, more than psychological profile builders, more than esteem builders, but commands, precious commands, gracious commands, loving commands, but commands nonetheless. I think we either this morning or last night we, we sang a little bit of it. Here's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. And, I get, and again, I say rejoice. It's a, it is an exhortation. But God has an expectation on it. I want you to do that. I want you to obey me in that. Rejoice. And there are others. Draw near the Lord. Pray without ceasing. Resist the devil. Be filled with the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. These are not to make us feel better. What a cute little saying. Pinterest can make a killing on that one. No, commands, precious commands that are wrapped up 
in the glory of God. The last of them that I had was where we started. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We're, that's an expectation. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us remember that glory revealed requires commandments restored. And help us to remember and to get into the action of setting up a tent of meeting. Thank you for your glory. We continue to pray that you would show us your glory. Amen. Thank you, Brother Steve. All right.